Alright, so we've been talking about relationship, relationships. Um, this week we're talking about uh, how to know that you're ready. I think that's probably one of the most common questions that I get after we uh, talk about what love is and, and, and uh, you know, like after you kind of get all the other stuff squared away, like, like relationships and whether you should be in one or not. And people start to ask, um, how do you know you're ready? Because I always tell college students, like, you guys go date, have fun, like, meet new people and all that kind of stuff. But if you're in high school, I say no. Uh, and, <clears throat> and so when they're, they're in college, they ask me, just because I'm a sophomore or a junior, like, should I, am I ready to be married? And the, the real answer is no. It doesn't necessarily, age doesn't mean anything. Um, and so this is, kind of a, this is kind of a tough one because I think a lot of people... Um, have a lot of opinions about this, and it's kind of uh, kind of gray-ish, right? Uh, to kind of give you an example, that I'm going to ask you guys a few questions. You guys, you guys, tell me whether you think it's true or false. Okay, this is a little quiz. Uh, information, parentheses, books, seminars, advice will bring about transformation. True or false? I'll read it again. Information like books, seminars, advice will bring about transformation. Number two, spending time together will automatically improve the relationship. Oh, whoa. You guys are messed up. Acts of kindness will be noticed and reciprocated, meaning like given back. Acts of kindness. They'll be kind to you if you're kind to them. Um, Is that true or false? One person will be able to meet all my needs. Dang. You guys are so jaded. You guys don't watch romantic comedies? One per, uh, okay. Forgiveness brings instant restoration of a relationship. Dang, you guys are like bitter. <laughs> I've forgiven you, but we're still done. When I'm hurting, it's okay to strike back. Oh. <laughs> Max, who read the scripture today, said it's true. Frustration with my life is due to my spouse's deficiencies. A good marriage shouldn't require much work. A good marriage shouldn't require much work. Our problems are due to an inability to communicate. (laughs) You're changing because I'm laughing. The demands on me and the pace I keep are beyond my control. The demands on me, like your job, your life, your spouse, your church, whatever, all your demands on your, on your life, and the pace I keep are beyond my control. If we've talked about it, settled on it, then we shouldn't have to revisit it. If we talked about it, settled on it, <coughs> like we decided together, then we shouldn't have to revisit it. You guys were like strongly false just a few seconds ago. If you knew my faults before marriage and, are, and still married me, then you shouldn't expect me to change after marriage. Oh. Oh. Uh, last one. There is such a thing as my type. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, every single question uh, is false. Yeah. So... <clears throat> And, of course, this is not science, so I'm not going to be like, well, the reason is, number one, is, you know. 
but when we see in the Bible, there's a lot of uh, insight that the Bible gives us, uh, people that have followed the word and have lived wi- wise lives, and they would, they would agree. So like information, books, seminars, advice that will bring about transformation. No, it's not a guarantee. Just because you go. There's a lot of people that go through marriage counseling every year and nothing changes. Spending time together will automatically improve the relationship. Nope, you have to be intentional. You guys spend a lot of time to, together, and if, it, if you're not talking about anything or dealing with issues, it doesn't change. Acts of kindness will be noticed and reciprocated. That's just not true because there are times people are nice to me and I'm not nice to them. Number four, one person will be able to meet all my needs. That's just sad and stupid. But that's what most people actually believe. When I find the one, all my problems will melt away. It's a wonderful feeling. I wish that was true, but it's not. Number five, forgiveness brings instant restoration of a relationship. That's not true. If someone punches me in the face, I can forgive them, but I'm not letting them near my face. You stay away from my face because you punched it last time. You see what I'm saying? That kind of thing. Uh, number seven, or number six, when I'm hurting, it's okay to strike back. That's obviously wrong. <coughs> uh, frustration with my life is due to my spouse's deficiencies. It's really easy to blame others for your problems, but it's not because your wife's or your, your husband's deficiencies, the pro, you know, things that they're not good at. A good marriage shouldn't require much work. That's a lie. Um, a good marriage is, uh, is a lot of intentional, intentional uh, action. <coughs> and good marriages are also um, a joy, too, so it's not just like work. You know, you know how like whenever you're lifting weights and exercising and eating right, like some of it's miserable. You complain about it, like you want to eat cheese, cheesecake and you just want to sleep instead of exercise. Um, but there is that moment when you're exercising, you really feel good, and you know that's, it's kind of like that in marriage. You work out, but it's, there's a lot of benefits. Nine, our problems are due to inability to communicate. Your problems are probably due to a lot of things. <clears throat> Number ten, the demands on me and my pace that I keep are beyond control. That's kind of a boundary question. That's kind of a trick question. You have to have boundaries in your life. Uh, my wife and I, we talk in, about our lives, about whether or not um, I should take on some things or I should say yes or no when people ask me to do something. And it's because I'm thinking about my marriage and my, my, my wife, uh, my kids too. <coughs> um, if you knew my faults before marriage and still married me, then you shouldn't expect me to change after marriage. Um, that, that kind of plays on that idea where people are like, you know, um, you just need to love them as they are. Uh, which is true in some sense, but at the same time, if you're never, ever, ever going to grow, you know how people write in their yearbooks the stupid saying, stay the same, never change. That's like, then you would be like an adolescent boy for the rest of your life. That's a horrible advice, right? So you kind of hope that your spouse continues to grow and matures. And then number, th- uh, number 13, there is such a thing as my type. I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think there, we have preferences, but I think they're pretty shallow. All right, so <clears throat> let's go to Ephesians 5, 21, 30. If you have your uh, Bible open... This is a tough passage, and I highlighted the word everything just to mess with the girls. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so that's good. Submitting means uh, like, uh, uh, like uh, obeying one another, obeying, like not obeying, like putting yourself under uh, somebody else, right, uh, if they're in the body of Christ. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands as, as to the Lord. This has been one of the uh, major verses that many, many Christian men have used to abuse their wives. So therefore, the pushback has been women hate this verse and think it must mean something different. Or they read the Bible, they believe the Bible, but this verse they just don't. They just, it's, I'm not going to deal with that. Right? Because it's a tough verse. Wives, submit to your husbands and to, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Have you ever seen that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? The grandmother was or the mother of the, the, the woman, the main character. She says, yes, my husband is the head, but I am the neck. 
and I turn his head wherever I want. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of true. Um, but <laughs> the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That's like an open door to abuse. If your husband is psychotic or has major problems, right? If he pulls this out and you're a Christian and you're a young Christian and you don't understand what this is talking about, then all of a sudden he gives biblical credence to abuse. It's scary, right? So this is an unpopular verse. But nobody ever quotes verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her, her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. The problem with 25, we don't quote because men do not want to be spiritual leaders. We just want to be the head and tell our women what to do. Right? Jungwon, uh, he made a, a funny comment on Facebook. He was just kidding because I don't think he really believes this. But we were talking, there, there, there was this thread. We were talking about the girls' appreciation. And Joy Hong was asking, what time does it end? And it's like at 9 o'clock or something like that, right? And then Jungwon's like, and then you back, uh, back to being beneath us or something like that, like back, back to being submitted to us or whatever, you know? And, and Joy got really mad. <laughs> but I know, I know he's just kidding. But it's really, really easy just to ignore the fact that it's saying husbands have to be spiritual leaders. And what's crazy about it, it says just as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died. He sacrificed. He, gave, he laid down all of the things that he desired. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was about to be arrested, he knew he was about to be arrested, right? He was asking the Lord, uh, God, Lord God, um, take this cup. Like, take this situation from me. Make it so that I don't have to do this. If it's your will, I'll do it. But just take this from me. Because he was in tremendous, tremendous stress and pain, right? This is what Christ did for the church. And then the, 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 the men, we quote verse 21 or 22, but we don't think about 25. And I don't know why women don't bring up 25 as much. Maybe they do, but, but this is really, really tough. I would say that if a man loves their wife, and I'm not talking about loves like love, like, like romantic comedy loves, like brings you roses love. I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 13 love. Remember the biblical version of love? Love is patient, love is kind. Long-suffering. So, it, you know, because like, you know, some men are like, my wife, she, she does this, she doesn't do this, she complains, I don't like her, blah, blah, blah. And he's not long-suffering. He's not willing to suffer along for his wife. Right? Sacrifice, uh, sacrificial, not keeping a record of wrongs, so on and so forth, right? Kind, uh, slow to anger. There's all these things that, that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the biblical essence of love, and it says, love your wives. That's far more than submission. But we, we totally don't get that. What you're, what you're seeing here is that Christ is saying, or uh, um, um, Paul is saying, that women, you should submit to your wives, your husbands. That's hard. Yes, I get it. That's hard. But what's more is the, the harder part is husbands, love your wives. That's far, 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 far harder. The, the bigger command is on the men. The tougher command is on the men. Right? So instead of looking at this in, in terms of abuse, right, a healthy Christian would look at this text and say, wow, I feel sorry for the men. They have to be like Christ is to the church. Women would just submit to our husbands. That's, hey, I'd like a sandwich. Okay, I'll make you a sandwich. Right? Because when people think about submission, that's what they, they're thinking about. 
right? But then he has to be a spiritual priest of the home. He has to be sacrificial. There's an example of that with my friend <coughs> um, Trevor. Uh, he shared this publicly, so he doesn't mind me sharing it. But um, Trevor was the youth pastor before me here. He's my best friend. He's the one that got me this job um, to be a youth pastor here. Uh, he was a missionary to this country in South Asia. I can't say the name because it's um, 100% Muslim. There's still missionaries there connected to the company that he started there. Uh, but it's a 100% Muslim nation in South Asia. <coughs> and he went there very, very young. He was 20, maybe 21, young guy, dysfunctional, uh, just like most 20-year-olds. Married. He married when he was 19. He went overseas and he served as a missionary there, and he was so hardcore. If you know Trevor, Trevor is a pioneering type of guy. Like, he can go into a situation where there's nothing, and he'll start creating stuff. He'll start setting up stuff. And so he starts, he has this huge network of friends in this country where he just makes friends, and, and God is doing a lot in their lives. He's being a witness, and he's so excited. But it's a Muslim country, so his wife is having a very, very hard time. There's no churches at all. There's not even one church. In fact, all the, uh, the Christians that were there before were either put in prison until they converted, um, sent off to islands, uh, exiled, where they couldn't come back, just living in a little fishing village just to survive. Right? This is the kind of nation it was. They did not accept Christianity. And so his wife had no women... No, because women kind of kept to themselves. They kind of stayed in their homes. And it was really hard for her to get to know new people. And so he was thriving, having an amazing time. She was going through all this. And then she gets dengue fever. She gets bitten by a mosquito. Uh, she gets uh, this, you know, virus. And she basically is at the lowest point of her life. They were there for two years. And she's super, super depressed. She's dealing with depression. She's falling apart, and she says to her husband, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. And, and my best friend says to her, you need to go back to the United States. I'll stay here and continue the work. You go back to the United States. And to her, that was like the most crushing blow because to her it said, I care more about this country and being a missionary, my identity as a missionary, uh, than I do about you. And their marriage was about to fall apart. They were probably going to end up in divorce. Um, she was really in a, uh, doing a hard, a hard time. So she basically says, you know, you need to come back with me. I'm not going back alone. You need to come back with me. And so he goes back. And there are moments in their conversations with one another where he blames her. He says, you're the reason why I left the mission field. You ruined my life. You did this, 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 this. And then he started to go to Bible college and he started to become confronted with the truths that he thought in his heart were right, where he thought he was right. But the truths started to come out as he started to study the word and what it meant to love, what it meant to be a good husband, what it meant to be a good father. And he started to challenge his views and he started to break down. He started going to counseling and doing things like that. His wife was in counseling and she started to heal. It's been a long, long, long process, but it came to the point where when me and the guys all wanted to go hang out, go fishing, go, you know, whatever we do, um, we'd be like, Trevor, come on, let's go. He's like, I can't go. He's like, my wife just doesn't, she's not doing good right now. You know, and we were best friends. We've been best friends for years. And we had moved to the Bible college too, so we we're in the same school. I'd be like, come on, let's go. And he's like, um, you know, because he said he would go, but then his wife last second would be like, oh, I, don't, I don't feel that good. So then he would just say, I, I'm going to stay. And me and my guy friends, we were so pissed off at Trevor. We're like, dude, man, you're letting your wife just like 
conquer your life just on any whim. You're just going to do what she says. You know, we thought it was just so messed up. And what he said to us is he said, I messed up my wife. I abused my wife so badly throughout the you know, beginning of my marriage. Even if it takes the rest of my life, I will continue to serve her and love, love her the way Christ loved the church. He, that's what he said. And at that time, we were like, you're still a freaking idiot. We, think, like, we, would just, we just want to go watch you know, UFC fights, right? We want to go hang out, go fishing, and you're just going to stay home with your wife because your wife doesn't, isn't feeling good that day or something like that. And it wasn't, it wasn't until years later when, when that kind of stuff that I had to start dealing with my life, in me and my life, with my wife. And then I had to start to, to be challenged about my views and what it means for me to love my wife and to serve my wife and to be a godly, godly uh, um, man, a spiritual priest of the home and what that meant for my family. And it was really, really hard. And I just kept thinking about what Trevor had gone through and the sacrifice that he did just to lay down for his wife because he valued his wife that much because of this, how Christ loved the church. And now, obviously, their marriage is far different, amazing. They're, they're so much, much better. But he had to make this decision. Am I going to be the priest of the home? Am I going to be the spiritual head of the house? Or am I just going to abuse and make her do whatever I want her to do without keeping the, 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 the hard command? Right? So when you are talking about this, I, when we talk about relationships, I'm always taking you to the higher view. Because it's really easy. When we're talking about relationships, we're always talking about people are like whether I should date or not, whether I like that person, whether that person's cute, whether they're attracted to me. But it's so low. Remember last week we were talking about the high view of sex? Well, how sex was just, like in our view, it's two consenting adults. But when you talk about it in a biblical pers- perspective, it means there's a divine spark that happens when, one, when a woman and a man unite. When a baby is born, when ensoulment happens. When your relationship starts to show others, point the way to what it is like to have a relationship with the Lord. Like how everything just works together. There's this high view. In marriage, there's this high view. And so for you just to flippantly think, oh, I can get married anytime I want, and if it doesn't work out, I'll end up divorced. That'll be sad. I don't want that to happen, but I'm just going to do it anyway, is not the high view. So just really, really, really simply... Marriage, are you ready for marriage? The man has to ask himself spiritual questions. This is really, really hard because some of you guys are just like 18, 19, and and you don't even know what it is to be a man yet or to take care of somebody or to know how to keep your commitments. But the question that you have to ask is a spiritual question. Can you be a priest of the home? Are you moving in a direction? Right? Whenever you pace yourself, like if you're going on a marathon, if you're running a marathon or half marathon or 5K or whatever, you're running at a certain pace. And you know that cadence, that rhythm is going to make you finish, if you keep that rhythm up, finish at a certain time. Right? Is your life on cadence to grow into a spiritual leader of your house? That is a hard question. And for a woman, um, my wife and I, we meet uh, with uh, some of our... Uh, couples, and, and my wife had said something that was really moving and moving to me, and it, it reminded me of what sacrifice meant and what submission meant and love meant, is that my wife um, was, there was something I wasn't doing as a husband. I wasn't a, you know, a good, I'm not, I'm not a great husband anyway, just to be really honest with you, because uh, I have a lot of dysfunctions and I'm human and I mess up a lot, but my wife, and I'm not going to pretend like she's holier than, she always gets mad because she thinks, everyone thinks that She's unapproachable because she's too holy. She's not holy. She's like a normal. She's holy because of God, not because of herself. 
You get what I'm saying? But my wife, because she desired something in me to change spiritually, she spent 12 years praying that this would happen in my life. 12 years. Have you guys ever prayed for anything more than a month? Or maybe one time, you're like, God, I'd really like a million dollars. You know, maybe, maybe you could pray for that for 12 years and earn that through prayer, but I'm just kidding. But, but the idea is my wife wanted something in my life spiritually to happen, a certain thing, and she prayed 12 years for it. 12 years. Are you, is your life as a woman moving to get to that point where you can support your husband spiritually for him to be the person that God has called him to be. For you two together in your united vision to be who God has called you two to be. Do you, are you moving that direction? Because that is a real question. Because some of you separate marriage and spirituality and you can say, well, I'll get married now and deal with the spirituality later. But the problem is the person you marry will shape every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. You guys, have know, you guys know people that have been married? And their wife is like, nobody likes them. That's what happened with my dad. When my dad got divorced to my mother, and he remarried, he married my stepmother. My stepmother, no one liked her. My, my, my birth mother, everyone loved her. They loved her. Like, there was all these, like, stories going on. Like, my grandmother, she was, like, you know, during Japan occupation, all that kind of stuff. And, like, there was rotten kimchi in the refrigerator. Got, kimchi is a Korean type of Korean dish. And she was eating it because she didn't want to waste it. My grandmother. My mom got all pissed off. She grabbed it. She threw it in the trash. She refused. And she took all the food away and then came back and gave her, like, all this, like, really luxurious food. Like, my grandmother still talks about, like, that, how, how great my mom was. Right? But my stepmother, she was, like, the evil stepmother in Disney. Nobody liked her. Right? And that shaped the rest of my life for my father. My father is not in contact with very much, uh, very much with anybody in his family. He has a huge family. My grandfather had two wives. And they all, they were like, it was like, um, you know, Jacob in the Bible with the baby making contest. Seriously, like we have like, thir- the keys, we're going to, it's going to be bigger than the Kim family in, in, in the future because we have so many keys. But my dad lost contact with all of them and, and, and he was the first son of the first son, the line of the first sons. He was the first son. He had like influence yeah. and, and rule over that, that, this family to say where they went. And he lost it after he married my stepmother because they hate her. Who you marry will shape every aspect of your life. And you better believe spiritually. So if you are moving, your cadence is moving, you probably want to find somebody that's on that same track. If they are not, there's a problem. Those are the spiritual questions. It's tough. Now, I'm not saying that if you are not that spiritual but you want to be spiritual, that you need to marry somebody that's super spiritual because they probably won't look at you. Like turkeys... They don't date eagles. Do you guys understand? Turkeys don't date eagles. Eagles don't date turkeys. Okay? So if you want to date an eagle, be an eagle. It's kind of simple, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a turkey. She's an eagle. (laughs) It's because I prayed. I'm like, Lord, send me somebody hot and holy. And And he sent me my wife. All right, number two. So that, that was uh, uh, your spiritual life. Uh, number two, scripture. Look at scripture. Is your bio, uh, uh, do you align yourself with the word? If, if, as far as your marriage goes, or can you submit to the word of God when the, God, the, the word of God uh, shapes you and your decisions and who you should marry? That's a tough one because a lot of times we just go 
we, we, we have a very modern mindset of relationships. And we don't look at what the scripture has to say. Because we look at this and we just kind of, we don't wrestle with it. We're just kind of like, ah, oh, that's old-fashioned, I'm not going to believe it. Rather than actually trying to learn what, it, what, it, what it's actually telling us. Um, look at your status in life. This is a pretty easy one. If you're in transition, if you're in high school, it's not that you maybe not emotionally be ready, but it, your status, your transitionary status might not be good for you to be married. Um, college, it's a little bit more simple. Um, a lot of people in college, they dated for two years, three years, four years, or whatever of college, and they come out of college and they're ready to get married because uh, the tr- tr- transition is ending. Um, emotional... Look at your emotional life. Um, we talk about this diagram where your heart has these holes in it, right? And you try to plug that, those holes. Those holes, what they do is they create sadness, depression. They create these things that you know that you need. And so a lot of people plug those holes in with food. So they overeat or they don't eat at all. They plug their holes with uh, uh, friends. They, they feel like they're a part of a community, and that's what makes them feel happy. Uh, TV, binge-watching, work, um, exercise, uh, shopping. Uh, you just plug your holes uh, constantly. But some of you guys have this mentality that when you, are ha- when you have the right relationship, the right one, you serial date over and over and over again because you can't let that hole be unplugged. You think that your spouse will uh, heal all of... That, that hole in your life. That's not true. Your spouse were exacerbated. It'll make it worse. All your dysfunctions. Uh, have you guys heard when uh, Jaden, was it Jaden Smith? Will Smith's son? Was talking about like universalism or some you know, crazy nonsense about the universe and all that stuff. And Will Smith went on like a talk show. He was like, you know, when we were kids, we were dumb, but nobody knew it. But now because of social media, everyone knows you're dumb. Right? That's kind of how it is like with your heart, Right? Your heart is, is messed up and nobody really knows it because they don't live with you, right? Maybe your mom knows, but she loves you because she's your mom, right? And your boyfriend doesn't because on, on those date nights, man, you are like par excellence. Like you, you open the door, you pay for her food, you, you, you have a little chit-chat, she doesn't have very much dysfunction, but you live with somebody, they know you're dumb. They're like, how in the how did I marry some useless? What the? What have you been doing? How did I not see this? Right? You heard that Thomas Jefferson adage when he was talking about before you're married, keep your eyes wide open. After you're married, keep your eyes half shut. It's because before you get married, you need to know what you're getting into. After you don't want to know anymore. You're just like, all right, I'm good. I didn't see that. She's doing something crazy. You're like, I didn't pay attention. I'm not. I'm not paying attention. That's what it's like. So emotional. And then the last one is uh, look at your sore relationships. This is a huge, 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 huge one. Your sore relationships. This will indicate more than anything how you will handle conflict in your marriage. Are you the kind of person that just cuts people off? What? You didn't like my shoe? You, my shoes? Like, <laughs> you didn't like my left shoe? You didn't like my post? Cut off. <laughs> You didn't like, you know, like, just nonsense, right? Like, are you the kind of person that, ha- like, has serial best friends? Like, uh, he was my best friend, but then in 2015, that was my best friend. Then in 2016, he, he, be- he made me mad. This is my best friend, my best Your sore relationships. How you treat your parents. And I know, I know you guys are like, that's not fair. My parents are psycho. You don't know my parents. I understand. I have parents, too, and they were psycho, too. At least that's how I perceived but how you handle your relationship with your parents, because some of you guys are so disrespectful. 
to your parents. How you uh, uh, talk to your parents or deal with your parents shows more about your character than theirs. And that's tough because it's tough to be godly when, 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 you're, when your guard is down. When you're at home and your mom has seen everything you've done your whole life and she has it all in her head. You just act out and, and are disrespectful or mean. You're short with her. That is most likely how you will respond to your spouse because your spouse will see you at your most raw. If you think you're going to constantly respond to your spouse the way you do on dates, that's, just, that's a pipe dream. That's stupid. When you're most raw, is, 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 who you are when you're the most raw is most likely how you'll be to your spouse. So if you're cutting and saying mean things to your mom and your dad, whether they deserve it or not, get this, whether they deserve it or not, whether you think they're ju- you're justified or not, that's, that's most likely how you will talk to your, your wife. One of the things that um, my wife and I have been blessed with is my wife grew up in a family where her father, his uh, throat, vocal cords, one of them crystallized, which I don't know what that means. It just doesn't work. So he, t- he talks like this, like he whispers. So whenever he yells, it doesn't sound like a yell. He's like, Raylan, you didn't do your chores. Right? And so she grew up never hearing yelling in her life. And then when, I got, when we got married, man, I'm, like, I'm loud. I'm loud. So my wife, and we're all talking, and she's like, um, uh, you know, like, what did you want for dinner? Blah, blah, I said this and this, and then she makes dinner, and then comes out, and it's like, oh, I didn't, I don't like it like this, or the, you know, but I wasn't yelling or being mean, but just a little bit louder. She's like, stop yelling at me! I'm like, what? What? Right? And this happened over and over, and it took maybe like, like one month to where I just never yelled at my wife. I yell at my kids, like, ask my kids, like, I go crazy on my kids, but my wife, like, as soon as I start talking to my wife and I get heated, I'm like, I'm not raising my voice, I'm just being more intense, you know? <laughs> and what has happened is that it's naturally, we didn't even know, but it naturally created this boundary in our life to where I never, I've, I don't think I've ever said anything insulting to you in your life, have I? Don't answer that. <laughs> I'm going to say that I've never said anything insulting to my wife. <laughs> like, I never, like, you know, you idiot, or what's wrong with you? Or like, I, not, nothing like that. We just, I just never crossed that boundary. It was something in my life. And that's, I think that, that really says a lot. Like, your sore relationships really say a lot on, on how you're going to deal. Because your real-life relationships with people that are beyond your, um, your guard, your walls, that's who you really are. So you've got to be careful. And I don't care if you're like, I've been dating for 20 years, the same person, and I, we'd never... Marriage is one of those things that brings out the best and worst in people. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go through this really quick because we don't have any time. All right, so uh, we want relationships, right, to be healthy. But whenever you do not have these things ready in your relationship, these are the kind of relationships that kind of happen. Uh, the roommate relationship. God hates divorce, but God hates this too. So... Those that, want to be, that are Christians, they don't want to get divorced or they want to stay together for their kids, but they stop interacting. Their eye, this is the eye of like your, the husband, this is the eye of the wife, that's the we. There's no overlap, right? In this Venn diagram, there is no overlap. This is the roommate relationship, right? And so they have a lot of trust issues, distractions. They're not willing to talk about stuff, go in any deeper. That's tough. 
And a lot of people that have that, especially Asian culture, when we're shame-based cultures, which means that we do not um, air out our weaknesses in front of anybody else. You, oftentimes you have parents will say, never talk about our family problems to anybody else because of gossip. But the reason why there's gossip is because nobody airs out their problems. And so what do they do? Some strife happens, some negativity happens. They brush everything under the carpet. When you brush everything under the carpet and that is your culture of who you are, you begin to have roommate. This is what your relationship looks like. You start to stack up all the things that you really never talk about with your spouse. And all of a sudden you're just living together. There's no love. There's no passion. There's no intimacy. You're just roommates. There's commitment. Right? And part of the reason why people stay together, even in this, this relationship, is because culturally it's, an, it's unacceptably divorced, to be divorced. Or they stay together because they, they're kids' sake. But you don't want this, right? So you have to learn how to deal with your issues. This is the suffocated relationship. And you see this with a lot of young people. The we is bigger than you. Right? Your relationship identifies you as a human being. I, my relationship, like... What do they call, um, like, when couples get together, they, they mash the names together? Shipping. Is that shipping? Yeah. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> but that's the, this, this, their identity becomes their relationship. They're not individuals. This is, this is also like codependent relationships. I've been in a codependent relationship. It was suffocating. That's what they call the suffocated relationship. So the kind of traits that this looks like is that all needs are met by the partner. Only one person knows me. Only one person understands me. Only one person can fulfill my needs. And that could be a subliminal thing. You might not say that vocally, but the way you live your relationship, it's like that. The suppressed relationship, that's the big I. Remember when we were talking about in Ephesians uh, um, 5.22, right, where the, the abuse verse, this is what the guy does. He beats down his wife. And he becomes big. And this happens to women too. You see women that, that dominate their husbands. And I feel so bad because everyone can see it. Their husband is like all small and tiny. He doesn't have any personality. He's just being squashed by the large eye in, in the spouse. And it happens vice versa. Right? <clears throat> the little eye is called to meet the needs. Uh, traits, domineering, control, freak, selfish, self-centered, anger issues. They intimidate the other eye. Now, this is the thing. I want to be honest with you is that every marriage has these tendencies, but you don't stay there. Hopefully you don't stay there. Like, I have been domineering towards my wife before. My personality is big. I'm good at talking. My wife's not good at talking. She's, she's shy or she's quieter. It's really easy for me to dominate her if I'm not careful. Right? The roommate relationship. My wife's pissing me off and I'm pissing her off. And then we just kind of not talk about stuff. We ha- you go through these phases where you will deal with all these things, but recognizing these, these things will keep you from them, hopefully. We'll keep you from them, like, oh, I feel like this is what's happening to us. Um, the chaste relationship, one-sided relationship, unforgiven, broken relationship. Some people want to be chased, want to be pursued. And so they create drama and they try to run away and the other spouse will come after them. You see this a lot in, in counseling. What's really crazy is when, when the person that's running away stops and says and turns, uh, turns back to the person that's pursuing them, the, the wife that's pursuing them, and says, I'm committed to you, I want to be with you. That spouse oftentimes runs away. It's this weird relationship issue. It's a one-sided relationship, unforgiven, broken relationships. That's, again, having not to deal with relationships. And then um, uh, the Dr. Phil relationship, uh, Dr. Phil. This is very, very uh, common in what most Americans think that the ideal relationship is. Right? This is good relationships without God. So in this sense here, it's the we're equally giving and taking, giving and taking, reciprocal, Right? 
The we is, is, is moderate. It's a good, comfortable we. There's a relationship. But there's also individuality, right? This is a good, healthy, uh, non-Christian relationship, right? Mutual love and health. That's the goal. And then this is what we want. This is where God continues to fill us. And this is the thing. My wife cannot make me happy. She cannot. I want my wife to make me happy. I want her to fulfill my needs because that's easy. It's easier to go to my wife than it is to go to God. Does that make sense? It's far easier for me to go to my wife than go to God. But when God fills me with joy, then I'm able to love my wife like Christ loved the church. When When God fills my wife, she's able to love me and submit to me in a godly way that brings glory to Him. And then look at this outflowing, that, that arrow going down. That means as we as a couple, we begin to minister to other people. We begin to love other people and serve other people. Right? When our, when our relationship's messed up, it's very, very hard for us to serve and love others. Because it's just creating dysfunction. Each I receives from God which flows into the we and then flows out to others. And I love that. I love that about our faith. It's really easy just to think, oh, it's all about me and self-help and me getting better and me, 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 me. But God is always pointing us towards others. Uh, cool? I'm way over time, so I'm just going to pray. And then um, remember, uh, men, uh, come back up after your lunch if you're volunteering. Lord, thank you so much for the idea that relationships are um, and how they point to you. God, that how you invented relationships and how you made us to work together, how you made us need one another in, in certain aspects. And I just pray, God, that you would help us to have godly marriages, that we would be wise beyond our years to look towards the marriage that you've called us to live, that men would be powerful priests of the home. God, I just thank you so much for our ladies and their hearts already. I just pray that their, their, their desire for love would come uh, and be met by you, Lord. And that as they are met by you, Lord, that they are even able to love even more and receive love even more. And so I just pray for uh, all the future couples to be in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Offering bucket is right over there. Remember, uh, men, come on up after.